And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now our second reading, beginning with Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Father, may the words of uh, my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing before you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A question as we start. Do you realize, uh, or have you forgotten, how wonderful it is to be a Christian? Do you realize, have you forgotten, how wonderful it is to be a Christian? Uh, it's not like, it's easy to think that being a Christian is just like, you know, maybe we're a member of the bowls club, maybe we go to the gym, and then we come to church. It's just, it's just one of those things that we do, which happen to be part of uh, a church. And of course, our culture is telling us at the moment that to be a Christian is not just irrelevant often, but it's bad. If you're a Christian, you're the wrong side of history. And so it is very possible as a Christian today to live forgetting the privilege that it is to be a Christian, if you are one this morning. Uh, Thelma Howard was uh, Walt Disney's housekeeper. It's there on the left there. Every Christmas, uh, she was given uh, a card. You may know this story. She was given a card, and there was a piece of paper inside it, and, and she kept them over, over the years. Um, she, she lived a very frugal life. She didn't do much with these things. She lived a frugal life. She died in 1994 in a fairly run-down nursing home. And it was at that point that her family, as they investigated her affairs and her will, discovered that the pieces of paper were actually stocks in Disney. And they amounted to $9 million. And yet here was this lady living this very frugal life, dying in a run-down nursing home. Thelma Howard lived below the privileges that she had. She, she forgot them. She didn't live to them. And we Christians can be so caught up in the glitz of the world and all it seems to offer, or so ground down by it that we forget how wonderful it is in the busyness of life that it is to be a Christian. And the book of Ephesians is given to us to widen our horizons, to lift our eyes, to see how good it is. And it does that through showing us the cosmic implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, that is the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. The aim of this first bit is that we might praise God for that. And so um, uh, open your Bibles if you've lost them, 1174 verse 1, we see that it's written by Paul to Christians in Ephesus. It's possibly a circular letter as well that goes around the area. So here's a, here's a map, modern day Turkey. Um, there you can see, has anyone been there? Raise your hand, anyone been to? Yeah, I thought a few might have been there. Great. Well, you ask these people afterwards what, what, it, what it's uh, what it's like, but uh, written to Ephesus, a circular letter. It would have been a trading port. It was um, quite possibly the second richest city in the day after Rome, a very affluent, a very impressive city. And Paul's been there. He's visited. He's writing about seven years after um, Acts 19 and 20 when he saw them and, and left in about AD uh, 60. 
And so the headline of the book, as we, we study, is that God has revealed his cosmic plan to bring in a new humanity in Christ. And that new humanity is the church. And so we're called in the book to, to live out that plan, to live in the light of, of it. And so we'll see there broadly two parts. There's chapters 1 to 3, which is knowing God's plan. And then chapters 4 to 6, which is living out that plan. There's some crossover between them. But being a Christian, we're going to see this morning, is wonderful. If we've forgotten or we haven't realized it, it's not irrelevant. God's people, the church, are at the center of his plans for the universe. They're his trophy cabinet. And it's a wonderful thing. So let's, uh, let's dive in. We're going to see three things. But the headline really is verses 1 to 3, and it's the aim of uh, this morning, that we would praise God, that we'd leave here simply praising him because we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verses 1 through to 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it starts as a sort of outburst of praise. I wonder if there have been any outbursts of praise this summer as you've gone and done different things. Maybe you saw a film or a sunset or you had a nice meal and you said, wow, that was fantastic. Uh, as a family, we went to a circus on Thursday night. There were loads of moments where it was just, wow, that's amazing. And pathfinders in the summer, some of you went to camp, some of you went to Thorpe Lakes, some of you did paddleboarding, those sorts of things. And at the end of it, many of you were saying, wow, it's brilliant, it's fantastic, just an outburst of praise. And Paul is like that when he thinks about God. He bursts out with an avalanche of praise. In fact, verses 3 to 10 is one long sentence, 202 words. Breaks all of the rules of grammar. As an English teacher, I, I, you know, who cares? Who cares? When he thinks about God, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Not he goes, it just pours out of him. The, the heavenly places, verse 5 comes up, uh, sorry, in that verse comes up five times, possibly because of. The interest in the spiritual world we saw in Acts 19. The heavenly place is the true place, the true reality where God in all of his goodness and riches dwells. And if you're a Christian, all that there is in heaven spiritually, you have. Say that again. If you're a Christian, all that there is in heaven spiritually, you have. Every spiritual blessing. In fact, it's a singular. It's as if it's one whole package called every spiritual blessing. And so if you're here, you're a new Christian. It's not that you have 30% of the spiritual blessings. Or if you're a younger Christian, you're a pathfinder or a spectrum. And you've got 25. No, no. If you're a Christian, you have every spiritual blessing. Things like you've been chosen you're adopted, you're, you're loved by God, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you have joy, you have peace, you know the Lord Jesus, you have life and the Spirit. You have access to Father and Son and Spirit to enjoy them. Now, of course, you and I go chasing all sorts of physical blessings. We spend our time chasing and envying others. We want to be in the cool crowd at school. We want to have a different house or a bigger salary. We want to have the perfect retirement. And yet all of those things, they never quite match up. But spiritual blessings, 
They're at the top of all of the blessings that they are. They're, they're the way into all of the blessings of God in heaven forever. And if you're a Christian, you have every one of them now. Yeah, many of them just the, the tiniest foretaste downstream. Yeah, in heaven we'll enjoy the fullness of them in our physical experience from the source. But we have them now. And we have them because we're in Christ. That phrase comes up a number of times in, in this section. Verse 3, we're in Christ. Verse 4, in him, through Christ, in the beloved. In other words, these things don't come directly to us. They come in Christ. They come because we're with him. Uh, I've got a friend who's a member of the MCC. Here's a picture of uh, Lords, and uh, occasionally he will phone me up and he say, um, "Got a ticket? Do you want to come along?" And I will say, "Let me think about it for a minute." Yes, um, is the answer. Yes, I would like to come, and uh, and I go. It's fantastic. The view, the food. Occasionally meet a you know, see a celebrity. Now all of that comes because I'm with. Him, because I'm with James, because I'm linked up in friendship with him. On my own, I'd never get in. If I tried, I'd be thrown out. But they come because I'm with him. I'm linked to him. I'm in friendship with him. And it's the same with us. We don't deserve every spiritual blessing from God. But if you're a Christian, you're linked up with God as his friend. And so praise God. We have every spiritual blessing that there is. So tempting to go looking elsewhere for, for other things. Again, Pathfinders and Spectrum, when I was your age, just thought that the best and the only thing was a string of you know, good GCSEs or being in the rugby team or having a girlfriend. Those were the things that I thought, that's it. And today we're all tempted to think that the, the main thing is we have to have every experience or every opportunity that the world offers for ourselves and our families. And so we live in this world forgetting the privileges that we have. In Ephesians, we're not told of a particular problem or heresy doing the rounds. Maybe it's just that their eyes were turned to the affluent city around them. And we can be just the same, like Thelma Howard. We live below our privileges. And so I wonder if we slow down, if something like verse 3 does come out of our hearts if we're Christians. I think we could expect that that would be the case, that something would come out. Now, according to different temperaments, that might sound different. For someone, that might come out in one long sort of gush of enthusiastic prayer. For another within their temperament, it's just a calm, inner smile. When you ask them, they say, yeah, yeah, being a Christian is great. It is good. I'm so glad. So Paul wants us to know that without doubt, the very best thing that could happen to any human being is to be a Christian. And if we need any doubt, if we need warming up or reminding of that, we come to our second point, which is one of the outworkings of that is verses four to six. We enjoy deep security in the Father. Let me read verse 4. We have every spiritual in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So here's an example of one of the spiritual blessings. And and it works in in three parts, really. What God did, when, and and why. The, The what is that if you're a Christian... These verses say that God has chosen you in him, in Christ. God has chosen you. That's where our deep security comes from. Think of that awful scene, if you remember it, or maybe you experience it in the playground, when someone says, I know, let's pick teams. Now, as far as I can work out, the person who usually suggests that we should pick teams is the person who knows they're going to be picked first. And the rest of us, our hearts sink. Do you remember that moment? Let's pick teams. The rest of us, oh, oh goodness, are they going to pick me? And you go through that long, slow process. They pick that one, they pick that one, they come up, then they pick that one, then they pick that one, then they come up, and there are two or three left. And you're desperately hoping, am I, going to, am I going to be the last one? And eventually you're chosen. Oh, this is agony. But think of the moment when you are chosen, assuming maybe you're not the, the, the very last one, but think of that moment, that moment of relief. Oh, I've been chosen. I'm safe. I'm not out there anymore. I've been chosen. God has chosen us and he wants us to know it. He wants us to know it. Now, now we don't know why It's not on the basis of merit, like in the playground. Chapter 2 is going to rule that out for us when we get there. There is a mystery from our side, why us and not others. But from God's side, the motivation is in verse 4. It's in love that he chooses us. This isn't a cold corporate selection process. It's his glad choice to bless us in the beloved. So that just as he delights in the beloved son, so he is thrilled thrilled about us. He loved choosing us. And that becomes clearer in the image that is used to explain that, which is in verse 5, which is adoption. He's predestined us for adoption. And there'd be some here in the room who who know that. Human adoption, you've had that experience. You've been adopted. You've adopted children. And you know that although it doesn't solve, no doubt, all of the complications of, of life, for, for a child who's orphaned or in troubled circumstances from, from that background, it is a wonderful gift of security. Some of us on camp in one of the talks heard the story of a, a man called uh, Russell Moore and his wife Maria from America. They, they went to a Russian orphanage. Um, they, were, they were set to adopt one-year-old twins. They said as they went into the orphanage, one of the things that struck them was an eerie silence. There was a room full of children, and yet none of them were crying. And they realized that the children had stopped crying because they realized that no one would respond to their cries. It's a tragic scene. They spent weeks getting to know little Max and little Sergei, who they were going to adopt. But the time came when they had to return to the USA for the paperwork to be done before they could bring them back to America. They, they described the scene as they left little Max and Sergei. The boys let out a guttural yell. Just crying, wailing. Russell Moore said, their hairs on all my body just stood up. 
said, why were they they crying? Why crying now? Well, because they knew they'd be heard. (laughs) They knew they'd be heard. They're in this relationship with Russell and Maria now. They knew the taste of the security of adoption. And the story ended happily with them arriving in the family. Do you know how absolutely wonderful it is to be a Christian? (laughs) To be adopted by the God of the universe, the Father of fathers, the source of all love. It is our deep security. And if you're a Christian, don't you long to know that? That is what God has done. He's adopted us. He's chosen us. When's he done it? Verse 4, well, before the foundation of the world. Do you see that in verse 4? God chose us before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us. And I want you to see it from the words on the page because it's not that it's a certain type of Christian who says that. Or or John Calvin, if you've heard of, of him. The words on the Bible say, God chose us before the foundation of the world. In other words, this means that we, we did not ultimately choose God. That's what it means. Of course, we couldn't. We couldn't plan to become Christians before the world because we weren't there. But God was. And so cast your mind back for however long you think the world has existed. Thousands of years, millions, billions, however long you think. There is at that point, there's no Jupiter, there's no Andromeda galaxy, there's no Gobi Desert, there's no Himalayas, there's just the Father, Son, and the Spirit in perfect relationship and eternal joy. And at that point, if you're a Christian, God knew you by name. God knew you by name, if you're a Christian. You were in his mind. You were known to him. He always intended to create and bring you into relationship. You are not an afterthought of God's plan. He's not making things up as he goes along with you. He chose you. And God tells us this, that we might enjoy deep security. Not to create a theological debate. We'll get to that in in a second. But how much more secure do you want to be, brother, sister? God always intended to choose you. The Bible's not embarrassed by this. The Bible thinks this is a wonderful aspect of God's sovereignty. He, he tells us so that we know that our relationship with God is not random. It's not an accident. It's not that you and I decided to sort of attach ourselves to God with the worry that we might somehow unattach ourselves or undecide to follow God. No, no. God chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world. Isn't that a wonderful thought to take into the week? Doesn't that give us deep security that the infinite God of all space and time would choose and love you and never let go? How special. Now I start with that before we get to the objections because that's where Paul wants to go. Praise. That's the aim of it. Not theological debate. And yet, look, there may be objections that we have to this. I understand that. Does this mean that we're just robots? No. It doesn't mean that God sort of forced us with a gun to our heads against our will. 
God still acted personally towards us in history. We are real people with real wills, and God didn't circumvent that. He came to each of us in our lives and presented us with Jesus, and we responded. We responded with a real decision. In that sense, we could use the word we we chose. But we responded because he chose us first. Actually, the whole of the Bible would say it had to be that way. We're not as absolutely free as we think we are. We're bound. We're slaves in sin. If God did not choose us, says the Bible, we would never have chosen him. There's one area of objection. Another area of objection, someone might be hearing that you're not a Christian. It's tempting to think, well, look, I'm not chosen. I'm not chosen. I'm just going to wait for God to choose me. Maybe he won't. Or if you're a Christian, you just give up on explaining the gospel to others. Because what's the point? Well, friends, in the mystery of how God God works, the Bible never encourages us to use that as an excuse. In the mystery of how things work, God presents Jesus to us and says, trust him. Become a Christian. And I'd say to you today, what is stopping you? What is stopping you? Now, look, I don't want to shut objections down. Questions are good. Hunger is good. If it's a real issue, Talk to a wise Christian, maybe someone in your group. Ask to pray about it. If you're stuck, come to me or Ems or, or Luke or, or Giles. We've, we've wrestled with it. No, don't still wrestle with it uh, as well. There are good books around. Let me just find the one I had. Yeah, this little book you could borrow from me. Predestination, really helpful, succinct summary. You know, come to the Women's Fellowship Breakfast. Sign up for Equip. Take a step. Hunger is good. Questions are good. But... God is not telling us this in Ephesians just to stimulate debates. He wants us to know deep security, the security of adoption. And verse 6, he wants us to enjoy praising him, do you see, for his glorious grace. That's where he wants to take us this morning, to praise God for his glorious grace. So that at the end of time, it's obvious it's all of him and not just me that I chose him and I can be proud about that. So that we can say, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the second thing. We enjoy deep security. And here's the third point. We know true purpose in the Son. We know true purpose in the Son. Just a slightly shorter point. Um, Verse 7, let me read. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. So again, we're talking about in Christ here. In Christ as the place of blessing linked to him, we have redemption. That word redemption is to do with with slavery, buying people out of slavery. When God found us, we were in the slave market, so to speak, spiritually. We were under sin and death and the devil. And God bought us back. And the price of that redemption was the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul celebrates redemption. He celebrates forgiveness. And so again I ask, do you realize or have you forgotten how wonderful it is, if you're a Christian, to be a forgiven person? The worst thing on your conscience, the things of this week that make you feel dirty and sordid, are no longer associated with you. 
Because at the cross, they were associated, attached, laid to Jesus. He paid the full payment that we deserve. And so in God's courtroom, when he thinks of you, he doesn't think of you as dirty and sordid. He's not holding that sin over you. No, you have a bright, white, clean record of forgiveness before you. And we're told in the verse that it wasn't that God's fist was sort of clenched and we extracted a bit of forgiveness and then we extracted a bit more and a bit more and God sort of tolerates us. No, verse 7, have a look. It was according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, he lavished on us. He poured it out in undeserved love and mercy so that all of our sins, past, present and future, are forgiven. And so Paul celebrates, bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we're going to do that in a minute as we share bread and wine. And all of this section builds up to the climax of the section in verses 8, which is that in all wisdom, which I think goes with verse 9, in all wisdom he has made known to us the mystery of his will. We know true purpose in the sun. The world is searching for purpose in all sorts of places. There's a recent YouGov poll which said that 30% of 16 to 39 year olds say they have no sense of purpose. It's staggering. Staggering statistic. We search for it in all sorts of places. A-levels, job, house. We search for it in happiness. We say, we ask ourselves always, am I happy yet? It's a burden. The more we seem to aim for it, the less we seem to find it. Well, praise God, friends. If we're Christians, we're not in the dark. We know the purpose. The mystery has been known. We know the purpose. And here it is. Here it is in verse 8 at the end. Let's follow it through. What's the purpose of the universe in our lives? Well, God has made it known to the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Here it is as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. All things in Jesus. And if we're in any doubt about what all things means, he adds heaven, all things in heaven. So angels, Satan, devil, stars, all things in earth, nations, leaders, everyone who's ever lived. I mean, that covers everything. Okay, so all things. This plan of the universe can be expressed very simply in just four words. All things in Jesus. And yet it's so very profound. All things. Now, it doesn't mean that everything will be subsumed into some sort of cosmic mush at the end, nor that all people will be saved. That's the sort of doctrine of universalism. Or that Satan will somehow be merged into Christ. No, no. We'll all retain the people that we are, and we'll retain the choice that we make in this life to follow Jesus or not. And so at the end of time, all people will be fully and finally living under the rule of one person either under his judgment in hell or under his smile in heaven. And that one person is the risen, living Jesus Christ, God's Son. All things, one person, Jesus Christ. That is the plan of the universe. That is where God is unstoppably taking all of history. He's going to sum it up in Jesus Christ. And praise God. It's been revealed to us. We sit here knowing it. We know it if we're Christians for ourselves. If, if we're not Christians, 
It's been made known to us. It's obvious. Jesus was raised in history as the sign to show that he's the king. All things. We have the purpose revealed to us. And that is a wonderful thing. Uh, yesterday I took on a, on a project. Ruth and I took on a project as a family um, with this um, pile of wood. <laughs> um, slightly regretting it as the heat um, ramped up. But uh, the wood was delivered. And I don't know if you can guess what it was meant to be. Can anyone? It's in a bedroom. It was meant to be a bunk bed. That's right. So it's meant to be a bunk bed. But um, the first thing you're looking for when you've got the pile of wood in front of you, of course, is the plan. And uh, gosh, where is it? Here it is. You know the plan. You're rummaging around at the bottom of the wall. The first thing you need is the plan. And when you've got the plan, you know where you're going. You're not just confronted with a mess of wood. It's a good moment. I few. got a plan. I know what it is. Do you realize or have you forgotten how wonderful it is to live in this world knowing the plan of the whole world, the whole universe, where it's going? It's wonderful. You know it. All things in Jesus. You know where this world is going. You know how this world takes, uh, makes sense. And yet we take this for granted, how wonderful that is, because the rest of the world is looking in all sorts of other places. The rest of the world is backing the wrong one, one person. The rest of the world is backing dead people like Buddha or Brahma or Muhammad or, or Moses or, 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 or you know, YouTube influencers. They're backing the wrong one person. Or they're assuming that the world will just end when the, when the sun burns out or AI takes over or, or climate change. Now, God may use those as agents of, of, of things, but it's not going to end just because those things take over. God is in charge of where things are going. And so the world is in the dark, but they don't need to be. And we're not if we're Christians. God has made it clear. Aren't you thankful that you know the Lord? Isn't it wonderful? To be a Christian, to know where everything is heading. And that's where today lands as we close, with praise. That we might be drawn in to praise God, as Paul does in verse 3. Praise God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where today lands. The rest of the letter will be a call to line up our lives with the plan. You see, with the, with the bunk bed, if, if, if you line up your, your construction with the plan, everything goes well. If you don't, or you take a wrong move at any point, things end up in a mess. I was 95% of the way there yesterday. I made one small little... I didn't look at page 16. And it led to a phone call to Nathan and Terry, who came around to rescue me. You see, just the moment. We've got the plan. We've got the plan. Will we live our lives in the light of it? That's where the rest of Ephesians will go with our living. Will our living as a church, our unity, our prayers, how we speak, our marriages, singleness, being parents, our time at work, will it line up? All things are lining up with under Jesus. Under Jesus. That's where it's going. We know the true purpose. Will our lives line up? Or will we make a mess as we ignore God's plan? So as we close, do you realize, or have you forgotten how wonderful, absolutely wonderful it is to be a Christian? Or are we living below our privileges, 
forgetting that it's like we've won the lottery a million times over. Like Thelma Howard. We have every spiritual blessing. See, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every spiritual blessing that you've given us. And we pray that you'd help us to just take these things in, how wonderful and good it is to be your adopted children today. In Jesus' name, amen.